If you've got a Bible with you this morning, or you can open that Bible app, uh, grab a Bible in the P-Rack in front of you, but I want to invite you to join me in Haggai chapter 1. Haggai is one of the Old Testament prophets, and if you go to the book of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, and then go back three books, uh, Malachi, Zechariah, and then Haggai, that's where we're going to be here this morning, Haggai chapter 1. As you're turning in your Bibles, though, I want to begin with a story of John Stephen Aquari. We've got a picture of him that we're going to put on the screen here. And Aquari was part of the 1968 Olympics that were held in Mexico. He considered it a great privilege that he was able to run and represent his country, Tanzania. This was a brutal run, 27 mi- or 26 miles, running through high altitude where the oxygen levels were very thin. Aquari was up for the task, though, and with pride, he circled around at the beginning of the Olympics carrying the Tanzanian flag, hoping that he would have the world's best time in this brutal, brutal race. Well, the gun shot off, and he took off with many of the other athletes who were running in this marathon, 26 miles, and he was doing pretty well until mile 12. Mile 12, some of the runners started jostling for position, moving around, uh, pushing each other, and a quarry fell. He had a bad fall. He was severely uh, injured, messed up his shoulder, skinned his leg, dislocated his knee. Many people thought he was out of the race. But a quarry got up and he started to limp and then to run again. And he was running very slowly, though. The doctors on the sideline told him, hey, just quit the race, you're injured, you don't have to finish, but there, to their amazement, to their surprise, a quarry kept on running. He had 14 miles yet to go, and he kept on running, half running, half limping, half walking. All of the other marathon runners completed the race, they ran into the stadium at the applause of thousands and thousands of people who were cheering them on. A quarry came into the stadium an hour and five minutes later. By that time, the stadium was pretty much cleared out except for a couple thousand people who were left. It was dark already. The crowd was pretty much dispersed when somebody shouted out and said, Hey, look at him! It was a quarry. He was entering the stadium limping, walking, trying to run. Those who were there stood up looked at him and cheered for this injured athlete as he made one last lap around the stadium and crossed the finish line. He was the last, by far, of uh, 57 marathon runners who finished the race that day. Now, when a reporter was able to talk to Aquari, he put the microphone in his face and he said, Hey, Aquari, why didn't you quit? I mean, you were way, 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 way behind. Why didn't you just give up? And Aquari said, well, my country didn't send me 5,000 miles just to start the race. They sent me to finish the race. Listen, everybody here today is in a race. We, as the church, are in a race. We are not, it's not a sprint, but it's a marathon. And we may have sprints within the race, but this is a long-term race. Some of you here today might be at a place in the race that is very difficult, that's very hard. 
Maybe you've just given up. You've quit. You've stopped running. You're sitting down on the sidelines. Sure, you're alive. You're still breathing, but you're not running. You're not really racing. There's no vision for the future. There's no vision for the finish line. You've just sat down. Listen, I believe that God is not done yet. And even though some of you maybe have sat down, I believe today that God may stir you to get up and to get back in the race to keep running. Because friends, it's not over yet. The race is not over yet. As I was praying for the service today, for our time together here, I was drawn to the book of Haggai. Because the message that God had given to the prophet to deliver to his people was exactly that message. It's not over yet. Today, as we think about this idea, I want to point out three Bible truths that we can learn here and grasp and understand that I think will help us in order to finish strong. The first point that I want to make here is this. I believe that we move to the finish line when we decide to stop postponing and complete what was started. To stop postponing and complete what was starting. You know, uh, some of us are major procrastinators. Later! I'll get to it later! Hey, can you take out the garbage? I'll get to it later. Uh, Can you take the car to get an oil change? Yeah, I'll get to it later. Hey, do your homework. Later, later. It's easy to procrastinate in little things, but it's a major problem when we start procrastinating on what God calls us to. And so I want you to know what was happening to the people of Israel when Haggai said this to them. Hey, you need to stop procrastinating. What had happened is is that it was the year 586 B.C., 586 years before Christ was born, 2,500 years ago, roughly. The Israelites had been called out by God and set apart for His purposes. They they had uh, gone into the promised land. They had built up Jerusalem. They had uh, Solomon had built the temple as the at the center of the city. It was magnificent, and it had become the place of worship for them. Some of you have seen pictures of Jerusalem. Others of you have actually been to Jerusalem. And we pray for Jerusalem, all the horrific things that are happening happening there now. But you, you may be familiar with that famous wall in Jerusalem known as the Wailing Wall. In fact, we've got a picture of it that we're going to put on the screen today. But this wall is the remains of what was left over of Solomon's temple. Jewish people believe that this Wailing Wall is the closest gate to heaven. And so they take these little prayers, they write them down on small pieces of paper, they roll them up and they put them in the cracks in the walls. And then they walk back and forth praying because this is the original wall of Solomon's temple and they believe that this is the way that they could get close to God. Well, because the people of Israel didn't follow God, but instead turned their backs on God and worshipped idols, God decided to discipline them. By letting them be devastated by their enemies. And so the Babylonians came in and they conquered Jerusalem. They conquered Israel. They ransacked the city. They tore down the walls. They burned the houses. They took all the, of the gold from the temple. All of the holy artifacts. They knocked everything down stone by stone until it was left in ruins. They took the people as slaves back to Babylon. 
You uh, might remember the story of Daniel, who was one of the young leaders who was taken as a slave. The Israelites uh, were in exile for 70 years. Jerusalem was in ruins. The people of Israel were devastated. Friends, listen, sometimes what happens when we turn our backs on God, sometimes what happens when we start going our own way is that God has to lead us through a season of devastation in order to bring us back in a season of restoration. In fact, some of you here today, um, you're here because you've had some devastation in your life that woke you up and brought you back to a place of restoration. Well, God woke up the people of Israel. He said, I'm going to send you back to rebuild Jerusalem because God wasn't done with their story just yet. And so after 70 years in exile, there was this group of Jews, 50,000 people, who were allowed to return to the devastated city of Jerusalem. The walls were down, the city was in ruins, it was devastated, it was a desolate city. 50,000 people came back to say, we will rebuild the city. We have a vision of what Jerusalem could be again. We have a dream that this city can be rebuilt and that this will be a place of peace and a place where God reigns. The temple will be rebuilt. We will worship again like we used to worship. Our children will dance in the streets and laugh and play like they used to. We will follow God and as we follow God, we will rebuild this city. They'd gone back to do that, but something had happened. You know, when, when God gives us big tasks to do, it's not always easy. When God gives us a big task, sometimes it, it gets interrupted by opposition, by criticism, by obstacles, and by discouragement. Here's what I've discovered over time. There are two things that tend to derail us. Discouragement and distraction. When we become discouraged and distracted, we tend to stop doing what God has called us to, and we start putting our energies into other things. When, uh, because of discouragement, because of distraction, they, they work hand in hand, and they take us away from the destiny that God calls us to. In fact, maybe some of you are experiencing that today, that you're not doing what God has called you to because you're either discouraged or you're distracted. You, we, we, you get discouraged because someone hurts you. you. You got discouraged because it was taking too long. You, you got discouraged because you felt like you weren't making any progress. And when you got discouraged, you started looking around. You got distracted. And you decided to try something else out. You got sidetracked from God's call on your life. In fact, you've abandoned the call of God on your life because of discouragement and distraction. And maybe God is trying to wake you up this morning and get you out of discouragement and distraction and to say, hey, you're sidetracked. I'm not done with you yet. Don't bail out on the marathon. It's not over yet. You're still in the race. Get off the bench. Get off the sideline. Get back into the game that God has called you to. Because when you live in the world of discouragement and distraction, you waste a lot of your precious time, energy, talents, gifting, and resources. So Haggai was raised up as a prophet. Thank God for the prophets in our lives. Amen. 
Yeah, we may not call them prophets, but thank God for the people in our lives who have a bit of a prophetic voice. A prophecy is something that is God's word at God's time. And sometimes we need to be challenged, we need to be pushed, we need to be prodded in order to wake up and to do what God has called us to do. Sometimes God puts people in our lives who have a bit of a prophetic voice in that way. God raises up the prophet Haggai, and Haggai came to the people of Israel with a message from the Lord. The people had started to rebuild the temple. They had laid the foundation. They had built the altar so that they could have worship services there. And uh, yet because of the opposition of a group called the Samaritans, they stopped and they got discouraged and they got distracted. Do you know what they had gotten distracted with? Well, they'd gotten distracted with good stuff, but it was not God stuff. They'd gotten distracted because God had told them, build up the temple. But it was a lot of work, and there was opposition, and they got discouraged. And so they they built up the city instead. They, They got distracted with their stuff. They built up their houses. They built up their yards. They built up their roofs. They put paneling on the walls inside their homes, put in floors. They fixed up their houses. They said, yeah, you know what? We're going to get back to building the temple one day. Don't worry. We'll get it finished. Don't worry. But now is not the right time. Now is not the proper season. Listen, do you know that you can get distracted with good things that will keep you from doing God's things? They're not bad. They're not evil. They're they're good, but they're not the thing that God has called you to do. And so 14 years later, they still had not done what God had called them to do to rebuild the temple. 14 years later, the temple is still in ruins. 14 years later, the walls hadn't been built. 14 years later, there's still a procrastination that is taking place. And they kind of had gotten used to that way of life as well. You know, when you live a certain way for a long enough period of time, you start getting used to something that's not the best. You live long enough in a certain way and you start getting used to subpar living. You live with something long enough and you start forgetting that it was, uh, that it was even a problem in your life. If you live in a house of strife and chaos, criticism, doubt, and anger long enough, you start to assume that that's just the way it's always been. That's the way it always will be. I just expect it, anticipate it, believe it. If you live in poverty and indebtedness where you're barely able to pay your bills and you're always having creditors calling you up, you think that that's just the way life is. You're always barely surviving, barely living. You're living paycheck to paycheck. You're constantly changing apartments with creditors chasing after you. And it's just a lifestyle that you get used to. It's a culture that you accept because when you procrastinate on something long enough, you start getting used to a culture of procrastination even though it's not what God has called you to. And so God sent Haggai to wake them up. And here's what he says in verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time is not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. It's not the right time. It's not the right time. It's not the right time yet. 
Verse 3, then the, Lord, then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, and he asked this question. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruin? What Haggai is telling them is, listen, God called you to rebuild the temple. But you, you got discouraged and you got distracted with your own things. And so now that which should have been a priority is no longer a priority in your life. You, you've, you've forgotten to put first things first. You know, the greatest challenge that we as Christians, as believers have is not necessarily that we go after evil things, but that we switch our priorities to where God is no longer the center, where he's no longer number one top priority for us. He is part of our lives, but he's not the center of our lives. We often add God to our lives like we add the gym or a therapist or an accountant or our favorite TV program. If we have time, you know what, we love to participate in this thing, but at the center of our lives is something very different. Jesus said this to his disciples, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He said, but seek first, but seek first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Friends, we've got to put first things first. The people had postponed and postponed and were making excuses for why they hadn't built the temple. Benjamin Franklin said it this way. He that is good for making excuses is seldom good for anything else. Maybe you've met some people like that in your life. I believe that what happens sometimes is that God speaks to us about doing something. When, when God speaks to us about moving in an area and we don't do it, we can begin to experience the ripple effects of procrastination and delay in our lives. And sometimes when we say, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, but not now, we begin to live with the repercussions of our postponement. And listen, Sometimes the effects can be devastating. We know that we, we, we need to diet and exercise, but we put it off and we put it off and then it becomes too late. We know that we need to stay within our budget, but we put it off, we put it off, and then we become in over our heads. We know that that squeaky brake on the car needs some attention, but we say, hey, you know what? I don't have time today. I'll do it some other day. But before long, that brake falls off. And we can't even stop the car. Haggai and the people of Israel were living in a city where the temple had been torn down. They were supposed to be rebuilding it, but it wasn't finished because they were working on their own houses. They were building their own houses instead of building the house of God like he had called them to. Now listen, not only do we need to learn to stop postponing, but we also need to understand the ripple effects of unfinished business. The, the ripple effects of unfinished business. We need to understand that our unfinished business, our procrastination, has ripple effects in our lives that we lose something when we don't obey. Look at what the prophet says to the people in verse 5. Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. In other words, look at your life. Look at the mess that you've gotten yourself into because you've postponed obedience because you're not doing what I've called you to do. 
Verse 6, he goes on to say, You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. God says, listen, because you've postponed, because you haven't put me as a priority, I have taken my favor away from you, and I've made life harder for you because I'm not at the center. You're working and working and working, but it seems like you're just spinning your wheels and you're getting nowhere. You think that this is going to fulfill you, and so you chase after it, but you are left more empty than you've ever been. You throw yourself into your job so that you can gain prosperity. You're making more money than you've ever made before. You put it in your pocket, but it feels like there's just holes in your pockets. Have you ever had a hole in your pocket? You know, you put something in there and it's like, where did it go? You put it in and it goes right out. Basically, God says, listen, because you ha- you're, you're, not, you're not putting me at the center of your life and you're postponing obedience, th- th- things are not going to be working out the way that you thought they would. You're, you're running after all of the, your own things, and the, the more you're running after your own things, the more empty you are, the more success you have, the more it seems like success is just evaporating from you. So you're working, you're stressing out, you're pursuing but you're less filled than you've ever been in life because you haven't put the Lord first look at what he says in verse 9 and remember these are people who believe in God they 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 they, um, they claim to follow God they they're they're people who show up to worship services on Sunday mornings he says you looked for much and behold it came to little and when you brought it home I blew it away. You work and you work and you work and you work. You come home thinking that you're going to be ahead, but it's all gone. And I want you to notice here that he doesn't say the wind blew it away. He says, no, I blew it away. Why? Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruin, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Friends, listen, sometimes God frustrates us in our progress towards success. Sometimes it is God who blows it away. Sometimes it's God who says, you're going to work and work and work and not see any progress. You say, why would God do that? Well, because sometimes God has to let us not succeed so that we get tired and worn out. And then we look up to heaven and we say, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. And God says, that's where I want you to be. I want you to put me first in your life. I want to be the center. Some of you are are blaming all of the difficulties in life that you're experiencing on the devil. Oh, devil, the devil kept me from getting that promotion. The devil kept me from getting ahead. I rebuke you, devil. God says, don't rebuke the devil. I did it. I did it for you. I did it so that you wouldn't continue to pursue worthless things and not put me first. I did it so that you would wake up and understand that you need to obey God and stop postponing obedience and make God the number one thing in your life. These people were frustrated. God says, I frustrated you. They were discouraged. And God said, I did that. 
And he did that because he loved them. He wanted them to recognize that most importantly, they needed him in their lives. Again, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So friends, if we're going to succeed in this race of life and finish well, not only do we need to stop postponing and determine to move forward in our obedience, we also need to understand the ripple effects of procrastination, spiritual procrastination. But then thirdly, if we are going to move to the finish line, we need to grasp a vision of a preferred God-given future. We need, a, we need to grasp a vision of a preferred God-given future. You see, I believe that a lot of people bail out and they quit when, they, when the vision fails. In fact, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, it says this, Where there is no vision, the people perish. We need a clear vision of who God is and what he's doing, or we're just going to give up. Most people, when they get depressed, it's because they lose hope in the future. They, they think that nothing is ever going to change. They, they just can't live this way for another five years. And their energy is zapped from them. People just become unmotivated and lethargic when they lose a vision, a personal God-given vision of their life and for their future. Husbands stop working for the well-being and improvement of their marriage when they, they've lost Hope that their marriage is ever going to change. Addicts stop uh, going to 12-step programs and stop talking to their accountability person when they lose a vision uh, uh, of what it would be like that they could be whole and well and free from addiction. People drop out of school when they feel like, you know what, I'm just never going to graduate. I can't do this. The believer, it's the same thing. When we don't have a vision of the future, We just kind of give up. We we sit down on the sidelines and we stop pushing forward. And and this is what was happening in Haggai's day. The prophet is speaking to the people. The, The vision they once had had become blurred. God had called them to the city to say, rebuild Jerusalem and start with the temple. Rebuild the temple, the house of worship. Rebuild the walls of the city. Rebuild your homes. Rebuild the family. May there be laughter in the streets once again. May we worship God once again. May this be a place where the presence of God dwells in a powerful way. May may we have an impact on the nations around us as we reflect God's glory and goodness. But they had lost the vision of a Jerusalem that could be restored by God. Friends, let me ask you a question. Have you lost your vision? Have you lost a picture of a preferred future that God is calling you to? Have you stopped believing that God could do something amazing, that the circumstances could change, that that you could be a cycle breaker and a legacy maker? Has the vision become unclear, fuzzy, foggy? In Haggai chapter 1 and verse 13, the Bible says this, Then Haggai the messenger of God spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. God says, if you get back on track, if you follow my vision, I am with you. 
Friends, as a pastor of this church, I've prayed this prayer over and over and over again. I have said, God, I I want to do what you want us to do. I want to go where you are. But listen, if you are not with us, then I don't want to be here. I don't want to be in ministry if you're not in this. God, if you're not with us, count me out. Because if your presence is with us, then all things are possible. God, when you are among us, miraculous things happen. When you are here, salvation occurs. When you are here, you open up doors. God, when you are here, nothing can stand against us. But God, I'm out of here if you're not with us. Because we need your presence. And over the last month or so, it's just been absolutely a blessing in my life as we've pressed into this idea of what it means to be fully devoted, reminding ourselves of who God is, of what he's called us to, how we can experience communion more deeply with him, how we can reflect him more fully in our lives and in the world in which we live. Listen, we can't do any of those things without the Lord. We cannot experience genuine growth or impact or righteous living without Him. We desperately need the Lord. Well, as Haggai spoke to the people of Israel, God said, I am with you. But I love what it says next in verse 14. And the Lord stirred up the the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah. He starts with the leaders. I I, I mean, isn't it amazing when God can uh, stir up the heart of even the uh, politicians of our day? And you know that it's God if there's something happening. That's a miracle that's happening in the life of a governor in a leadership position if something like that happens. He also stirred up the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Listen. My prayer is, oh God, stir up the hearts of the pastors here in Chicago and in the Chicagoland area to preach the gospel and not just tell people what they want to hear. We we have hundreds of churches in Chicago and my prayer is, oh God, may our preachers preach with power. May our uh, preachers preach with passion in the pulpit and truth that is being proclaimed and, and a call to people living holy lives. God, fill our pulpits with the power of the living God. And so God stirred up the hearts of the politicians. He stirred up the hearts of the preachers. And then it says, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. God stirred up the people and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. When God stirred them up together, they had a vision of the future. When they had a vision of the future, they had power in the present to make a difference. When you have a vision, it stirs you up to pray. When you have a vision, it stirs you up to read your Bible. When you have a vision, it stirs you up to reflect God in your life, to honor Him with your time, your treasure, your talent, to be a witness to the lost and dying world among your friends and neighbors, your co-workers and your relatives. You know, as I've been thinking about this, I, I thought about some of you who are here this morning who don't yet have a relationship with God. Your vision of the future is just, hey, live my best life right now. Hope that everything is good here on this earth, and then when it's over here, it's over. 
But can I just tell you that God has something far better planned for everyone who would put their faith in him and call upon his name. That if you surrender your life to him today, you can experience the joy of life in him right now and have a vision of what tomorrow could be. Eternity in the magnificent, glorious, amazing presence of the almighty God. How can you experience that? Well, you cry out to God. You tell him, hey, I I cannot live this life on my own. I need a savior. You call out to him, you call out to Jesus, he'll set you free. He will give you a hope and a future. Listen, the Bible says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Friends, you can experience that today, that hope, that freedom, that peace with God for all of eternity. Maybe you're here today. And you've already trusted in the Lord. You've come to the foot of the cross. You've accepted the free gift of salvation. Christ has come to dwell inside of you. Well, I'm here today to remind you from the word of God that there is a glorious future awaiting for all of those who would remain faithful to the end. I know that that sometimes it's easy to get discouraged and distracted, to sit down on the road of life, or even to, to just kind of drop out of the race altogether. We start putting things off, postponing and procrastinating, doing things that we want to do rather than doing the things that God has called us to do. When we do that, we often experience the negative effects that come along with that of working and working and working and working and working and feeling like we're getting nowhere, like we're just spinning our wheels. Maybe you're experiencing the futility of all of that. Friends, listen, today God is calling us back to what really matters, to putting him and his priorities first in our lives. And look, I believe that God would remind us the way he reminded the people in Haggai's day, I am with you. I want to stir up a revival in your hearts personally and corporately. I want to stir up a revival where there would be laughter in the streets. I want to stir up a revival where the presence of God would be seen in a powerful way. I want to stir up a revival where where people would uh, have passion for righteous living and a holiness of God. I want to stir up a revival that would impact the leaders and the people of this community, this city, this state, this world for all of eternity. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Today, we get to be a part of building what God is doing. Listen, we serve a big God. He's in the business of doing big things. It's not over yet. The race is not finished. Just imagine what could happen as we keep running the race to please him. As we devote ourselves to the Lord, to what he has called us to, and to the things that matter most in life.